Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. Oh my God, live. Live. This is happening. This is real life. This is live. So I don't know how many, I don't even know how this works. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on the Dream Mason podcast, I'm Alex Terranova. I'm your host. If you're watching this on, I think it's streaming to Facebook right now. Right now I see a little eyeball. There's nobody there. So we're blind. But if you come back and watch this, oh, there's somebody there now. Congratulations. Whoever you are, you're the first person to see a live episode of the Dream Mason podcast. So this is the first time I've ever live streamed the Dream Mason podcast, which means anything could happen. Anything could go wrong. It also means I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> uh, I literally, you're going to meet our guest in a minute. You can see him on the screen. Um, but I reached out to him less than 20 minutes before we started saying, hey, based on your experience and who you are, I feel like you'd be a great person to explain. Uh, experiment with me. I don't have my team with me, my editor. It's just me and our guest. And we're going to experiment. And I I love this. In the 20 minutes before I talked to our guest and went through, oh, we already lost our first person. They're already gone. I'm not, I'm like, failed already. <laughs> um, so in the, in the 20 minutes before, it's so crazy. I was like, all right, I'm going to try something new. What's the worst that can happen? And then I thought, and then my brain started doing, no, you should get prepared. You don't want to do that to the guest. You should like have all the systems, all the organization, everything worked out so it can go well. And I went, no, hell no. This is not what you train people to do. You train people to go before they're ready. You train people to like give things a shot, to fall on their face, to use failure as a way to grow and learn, not to try to be perfect, not to try to get it right. And after, I don't know how many podcasts I've done, at least three or 400 at this point, not just the Dream Mason podcast. If you can't try this and go live right off the back, like you're just letting fear, you know, rule the day. So here we are. We got two people now, whoever you are. Thank you. We got three. Oh my God. Uh, it's all happening. All right. So uh, first live episode, if you're catching this on the Dream Mason podcast on Spotify or whatnot, you're obviously not getting it live. Um, I would like to do this more often to stream to YouTube, to LinkedIn, to Facebook, but this is the first one. So let me talk about our guest. He's going to join us and you're going to hear from him in just a minute. But let me tell you a little bit about him before we get that. So he is the host of a top 10 podcast. It's called the Nonprofit, sorry, the Nonprofit Architect Podcast. He's also the host of the first annual Veterans Podcast Awards. He's the former vice president of, of books by vets. See, like I can't even talk when it's live. We're already messing up here. He's a board member of the Shine Foundation. He's donated over $30,000, volunteered over 1,500 hours. He's raised more than $500,000. He started six nonprofits. He's a published author. And I think all of that is stacked up on top of. He's also an active duty officer in the United States Navy. He's married and he has two kids. And right now I'm feeling like I do not do enough. <laughs> What's up, Travis Johnson? Welcome to the first live, live streaming episode of the Dream Mason podcast. Hey, thanks, Alex, for having me. And don't, I mean, it's not that you're not stacking up. We're not competing, right? This is just the way that I'm going through life and what just happens to have happened to me and what's happened to happen to you. And that's just where we are currently. That's sweet of you. I, w I wonder if Michael Phelps, when he was swimming in, people said, don't worry that you lost. We're not, we weren't competing anyway. <laughs> We're not competing anyway, <laughs> bitch. Yeah. You know, Michael Jordan playing against, you know, the Utah Jazz back in the day. Don't worry, John Stockton, Carmel. And we were never competing. This was really just me against me. 
<laughs> I mean, Jared that's what I said in the documentary, right? That was just <laughs> him trying to be the better him. Pretty creating, much. Creating slights that never happened just so he can oh pumped up to take it out on the person that never it's, offended him. It's amazing. If people don't know, if you're hearing this and you don't know what we're talking about, in um, what's the name of the documentary? Uh, it's on Netflix. It's about the Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls and the yeah, the last dance. That's called yeah, the last dance. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. And he, Michael Jordan talks about how he would make up stories in his mind to motivate himself. So he'd like see a coach from another team walk by at a restaurant. The coach wouldn't say hi to him, and he'd be like, "Screw that guy! I'm slighted. I'm going to take it out on him in the next game." And the coach was wasn't connected to it at all. There was no impact. Yeah, there was no there was no slight. Like he just no. didn't notice them. Like there was no offense at all. Um, and he created the story to get himself fueled up and mm-hmm. then just decimate his opponents, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> Let's you besides the fact that you're are you getting an echo on your side? I'm curious. Cause now this no. is the first time we're okay. I feel like I'm hearing myself, but the, okay. There is not, an echo feature on your microphone that you can change the setting. I, I did. I chose not echo. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it is what it is. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um yeah. we'll clean it know. up in post anyway. So you're also the first, there's a lot of firsts happening here today. You have architect in your, the nonprofit architect. My brand is the dream Mason, Mm -hmm. right? You know, Mm -hmm. we're architects are essentially builders, right? They're designers, they're builders. Masons are designers, they're builders, they create. Um, Tell us about the nonprofit profit architect. What does that mean? Where did it come from? It's right in line with, with your tagline. We, so we interview nonprofit leaders, business leaders, consultants, and people that have those special skills, all with the effect of helping you build a stronger nonprofit. There was so many nonprofits that impacted my life when I was growing up. We talked about all the good stuff in the intro, but we didn't talk about the bad stuff. The bad stuff is 36 moves, 12 schools, six states, five foster homes, and surviving two murder attempts all before graduating high school at 17. You know, through all that turmoil and through all that terribleness, there was always some person, somebody, some nonprofit, some church willing to keep us sheltered, clothed, and fed. And now that I'm in a different position, I view it as my mission to help the helpers. I can't let you skip over two murder attempts. What does that mean? <laughs> like, was that like your like your foster family trying to kill you? Like, were you, or was this like ra- like random? You were just randomly in wrong place, wrong time, terrible situations. Uh, those are neither, neither of those things. Uh, I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the actual people that tried to kill me were my sister and my mother. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? Pretty heavy stuff. My sister tried to kill me about, I was about 10. My best recollection of where I lived based on what grade I was in and what I was doing. I was probably about 10 years old. Uh, she chased me around the house with a butcher knife with blood in her eyes trying to get me. And then about five years later, uh, we were down visiting my uncle in Annandale, Minnesota, which is out in the middle of nowhere. Keep in mind, this is like the early 90s. Um, there's no GPS, no any of this stuff. You just remember, you have to remember where you've been and how to get there or know how to read a map. There's no, there was no other help. And uh, my mother has bipolar disorder. And she was going through one of her episodes and we get kicked out of the house. It was like two or three in the morning. I drove to to St. Cloud to the hospital there to get her admitted and get her help. And then, you know, through the process, it's the middle of the night, right? I'm 15. Uh, I've got my sister with me. I fell asleep. Well, I woke up a few minutes later. My mom is straddling me with a pillow over my face, trying to snuff me out because, you know, it was my fault that she was in the hospital. And uh, luckily, I was strong enough to push her off of me. I grabbed my sister and and we fled the scene. We got an I-94 West, started driving uh, back to where we're from, towards Fergus Falls, Minnesota. We slept in a rest area parking lot overnight before continuing our journey. Wow. Um, (laughs) I get the same, I get the same reaction from, from every host. They're like, Oh, so what happened? They're like, Holy shit. Yeah. Well, so I want to actually ask you about, cause as I think I do a lot of work with men and I talk a lot, I like as men, traditionally and and many women also we're not actually in the world we live in trained to deal with our feelings we're not trained to deal with our emotions we kind of like we actually snuff all that stuff out and push it aside um and often things like that you describe right that's trauma trauma occurs in a billion different ways to a billion you know in, in from things like that to really small things 
how have you actually dealt with that? So you've been like, what have you done so you could be the person you you can be now? So these things that happen to you are not, you know, like pulling you down or holding you back. That's a fabulous question. And there's a lot, right? You have to really process what this stuff is and what it means and what it looks like. And when you're a certain age, you just don't have the tools, right? You don't have the tools to deal with some of this stuff. So some of it gets locked away and put away. Um, I ended up doing a little bit of therapy. And when I say a little bit, I probably mean a lot compared to most people. Um, but I was really fortunate to kind of be kind of kind of detached because my life at the time was really just a complete train wreck. There was always some drama. There was always some trauma. There was always some disaster around every corner, um, you know, going in and out of foster care, living with different family members, always moving, always being on the move, always meeting new people. It's given me some skills in life, right? Like I can hop on and do an impromptu. Hey, we're going to try stream, stream yard today. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Why the heck not? You know, I can do those things, you know, but building those deeper relationships, sometimes that's a struggle because I'm still a little kind of detached, but you know, we don't have a choice when we have this kind of trauma, right? It happened to us. We are the victim in that moment, but we get to decide, we get to choose to handle that trauma, to take care of it. And we have the choice to move forward, to get the help we need and to move forward and, and get past it. Um, there's no one out there that, that can look at my stat sheet, you know, looking at the moves or the foster care or the two murder attempts and be like, you know, you know, let's just give this guy a pass in society. Like we don't expect anything out of him. Right. Just about anyone can say that. But why? What's the benefit of that? There's no benefit to that. Right. Take control of your life. Whatever the thing happened, make the choice to move forward. Now you're like, Travis, I'm still recovering from this trauma. Yes. Take care of the trauma. Take care of the thing that happened to you. But at the end of the day, even though it wasn't your fault, it's your responsibility to move forward in life. And whether that's going to AA, seeking treatment, doing talk therapy or EMDR or whatever the thing happens to be, just like in the nonprofit architect and the dream mason and in your life, it's up to you to make that decision to move forward or to build your dream or to, you know, build stronger nonprofits, whatever your thing might be. Thanks for sharing that you, you know, you've done a lot of therapy. I, I, I thank you for that because I talk about, I do a lot of videos and I'll talk about how I go to therapy. And I would say I'm somebody that like, I don't have like, you know, my therapist would give me crap for this. Cause I would say like, Hey, I don't have a lot of trauma. I don't have trauma. Like nothing, nothing really bad happened to me. But what I've learned is, is like, Hey, getting made fun of when you're five could be trauma. Right. Or like, um, you know, I, there were, I had some learning disabilities when I was young and that could occur as trauma. Cause as a little child, we don't understand. And trauma is not a one size fits all like, Hey, you had to be, you know, beaten or abused. Yes. Those, those are those that's trauma also. But I say this because what I notice is even though we live in a world that therapy is more accepted than it used to be, there's still a really big stigma to people who think that if they go to therapy, there's something wrong with them. Um, <laughs> and, and you, I mean, you and I know like, Hey, there, there's nothing wrong with you based on the things that happened. You simply have like, the way I like to think about it is because of the things that happened to you, there's some energy in your body or in your mind that just doesn't serve you. Right. It's like, it's, it just doesn't work for you. And we got to let that energy out. And to me, that's the beauty of therapy. It's one of the many ways that we can like, let that energy out. Now, I want to, I want to ask you a question about this though. You're also in the military, which I talked about. And I think the military is a, a place where we're typically talking about very masculine, right? Very, very like traditional kind of manliness. Mm -hmm. And I would, my assumption would be, and I don't know because I'm not in the military, but my assumption would be things like therapy in a place like the military would be even more kind of like stigmatized in certain arenas. Because if it's like that in regular society and we take go to a more masculine place, like, is that what you found or is it is it actually not like that when, in, in your military experience? Well, I think in, in the last I've, so I've been in for 21 years in the last 21 years, in the last two decades, it's really made I made a huge change. Like when I got in, um, no one asked you to do anything. They just told you. And while they told you, they were like screaming at you like, hey, go get this done. And we really changed to a place the like the vast majority of people that are enlisted 
now they have education, they have degrees, they have advanced degrees as where back in the day you come straight out of high school and really have no way to, to go in life. And you just, whatever training they gave you is the only ever training you ever had. So we're, we're getting to a more evolved place, especially in the military being in aviation has a huge advantage because they don't want you working on airplanes. And I worked on airplanes for many years before getting commissioned and flying airplanes. They don't want you working on airplanes or flying airplanes. If you've got stress, if you've got things going on in your life, if you would, you have something that happened that you haven't handled yet, because they know that that leads to airplane crashes, millions of dollars down the tube and potentially people dying. And because of they realized, you know, the importance in at least in aviation, there's a huge push to make sure that people are being upfront, being transparent, and when things are going wrong, to actually handle that because they would rather have you handle it on ground than to try to have you handle it while you're flying. We were joking before we we started recording about when you were telling me about your not, you know, I asked you if you were the pilot and you, I'll have you describe what you do, but I said, oh, you're like more like Goose, you know, right? Like when Top Gun references yeah, is yeah. pretty much what I know about you know, fighter pilots and, and, and flying planes. Um, but I am remembering, right. It's a great, that those scenes are some great scenes in top gun where, um, one of the other pilots has like a, like an anxiety attack basically when he's up mm -hmm. in the plane and he locks up, he freezes and it's a whole thing, right? The Tom Cruise character has to kind of go back and like try to usher him in. I don't know if anything like that would be remotely possible in real life, <laughs> but I love that you say that you make that connection of, Hey, if, if there's something going on with you or there's something in your past and you haven't dealt with it, well, if it shows up in a high stress in a situation, it's going to be way worse than if it just shows up when you're sitting on a couch talking to somebody, right? It just like amplifies the situation. Yeah. And it also ties me to often people will say things to me like, oh, so you like a life coach, you a business coach, like they, they have to, you know, they got to put you in a box and identify and they'll, <laughs> and they, they often are like, we'll be talking about this. And I'm like, man, if you got stuff in your life that you haven't dealt with stuff in your marriage or different places, that's going to show up and impact your business. It's going to show up and impact your money. It's going to show up and impact you as a parent, your relationship to yourself. I'd love to kind of hear first of all, tell us what you do. Cause, cause I skipped over like what you do in an airplane. Um, but also how you've seen that interact, like how working on yourself has actually supported you to be better. And, um, you know, how you see it with people that are in the nonprofit world. Yeah, absolutely. Even though I'm short and I have dark hair and dark, dark eyes like Tom Cruise, I'm not the pilot. I'm the naval flight <laughs> officer. So like Goose, I'd be sitting in the back. And what an NFO does is they handle the mission or the weapon systems or whatever the thing is. So like in Top Gun with F-14s, Goose would have been considered, I think, a WIZO, a weapon systems officer. He's helping with the crew co coordination, right, letting the pilot focus more on the safety of flight, make sure the aircraft does what it needs to do. And in the back should be goose handling the comms or the weapon system or making sure, you know, helping them locate or, in top, you know, in Top Gun and helping communicate with uh, other foreign nations, MiGs, which was pretty funny. But in my aircraft on the E6B Mercury, right, the pilot really, you know, gets us airborne and goes where we need to go. And then I'm running the entire mission set uh, out of the back with all the things that we need to do. So taking care of that as far as your question goes towards you know taking care of of the in the inner battle so you can take care of the outer battle you know if you look at like uh, look at it like going to the gym you know all that trauma and stuff and the things that i went through really helped build those specific muscles right you go to the gym you train you, you rip your muscles to shreds but you don't do leg day back to back to back to back to back right you do leg day once or twice a week and then you give it time to heal because if you don't give it time to heal you're just continuing to to stress and stretch and, and tear muscles that are not rebuilt yet. And it's the same way in our life when there's a stressor or a traumatic event or something happens or certain people that just push your buttons, whatever the thing is, and you don't handle that, whatever that means at, at that point in time, that's going to continue just like building muscles and doing leg day back to back to back days. It's going to keep stressing and tearing an already stressed system. And you can see it uh, with the people that you work with. You can see people that have a, a generally solid demeanor all the time. And then one day you see them at work and they're just lethargic and they're in a terrible mood. And you want to know why, because what is happening in their personal life is affecting them in their in your work life. So especially with aviation, we have something called, oh, what is this called? Can't remember what it's called. Where you say, hey, I have a lot of stress. 
uh, and they give you like, all right, you're not on the flight schedule. You're going to go take care of this, this, and this, and we'll get you uh, back into the game as soon as possible when these things are handled. I can't remember what it's called for the life of me. Someone will comment or someone will tell me later, like, hey, dummy, it's called this. Don't you remember? Um, <laughs> they'll come back to me. But they do that so you get that chance to handle what the thing is. And, you know, there is still a little bit of stigma in the military about going to get seen for help because we want to be in the fight and do the good things. But here's the deal. If you're damaged mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever the thing is, you can't really get in the fight anyway. You're getting into the fight at 80% or 70% or 40%. And if you're in the game 40% and you're not focused and you're not well rested and you're not handling what's in front of you, that 40% is going to get people killed. Right. So we don't want you to be in that situation if you're not ready to be in the game, fully engaged, fully rested, ready to do the battle. What are you learning or what have you learned from your experience? Like all this military experience, 21 years. I mean, this is, you've, it's a full career for a lot of people in a lot of industries. What have you learned from the military and your experience in the military that you're bringing to support nonprofits? Uh, that's a great question. There is a, a system for everything. The things that are important are going to get done. If you've got the right system, and the right people in place and the things that are not important are going to fall off and, and not really affect anything. When you can get people in and give them the training they need to do the job they need, they have the capacity, they have the, your direction, their leadership, they have our guidelines and you let them go in the system that's created. They're going to amaze you every day and do amazing things for you. If you are a poor manager and you're not OK with your leadership, you're going to try to do things like micromanage them which has never helped anything in this situation of in the history of doing things. Micromanagement is one of those terrible things that's that's coined. But anyone that does it is just uh, not being a good leader at all, not giving people the opportunity to do things for you. When there's a my 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 good friend, Stephen Kuhn, talks about this concept called creating space. When he talks about creating space, he'll have a prompt or whatever the thing is, start the conversation. He'll be present and then he'll create the space in the room to allow the situation to unfold, unravel, grow, whatever the thing is. The only way we can solve the unsolvable problems isn't not by me telling you what to do and expecting you to do it that way all the time, right? It hasn't learned anything new. There's no new inputs there. But if I present the problem and let you come up with the solution, then although I know a, a good, efficient way to get it done, you might find a new way that saves time, energy, effort, or look at the problem at a whole new perspective. And that space, creating that around it, allows these new methods of problem solving and new ways to attack problems that have been plaguing, plaguing the whole planet for a long time. But you can't do that unless you create that space to allow them to step into their greatness. I love that. That term comes up a lot in uh, coaching. So it's cool to hear that it comes up in just like in the military or in leadership and in nonprofit. It comes up in the same way in the sense of, I think as a coach, your job is to create a safe space, a space where someone can be themselves, where we can pull things out of them. That is their inner knowing, their inner knowledge, instead of me being like, you know, sometimes people think as a coach, I'm like, hey, Travis, this is what you should do. Here are the five steps to being successful. I mean, those are my five steps, right? Like, and I, there's nothing wrong with going to Gary Vee or Grant Cardone and listening to their five steps, but you're building what they built if you're following their exact thing. And that's fine. But if you want to actually create a life that's authentic to you, you actually have to figure out how to do it. And I think that's the beauty of creating space as we allow people to be themselves and allow them to like open up and unravel. And if there's not space, you can't really unravel. Let's look at um, nonprofits, because I don't know that I've had actually on this podcast, a lot of people that have, I'm sure that people are involved with them that have been on the podcast, but not someone who's like the, this is their specialty. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'll share with you, I have a, I have a challenge that I have with nonprofits often is that I feel like a lot of the, what they're there for gets tied up in the bureaucracy of it. And we don't see the results that we'd like to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Sure. And that, and then I don't know that from the inside, it's often people will, you know, a lot of times I think like I would sometimes rather give money to a guy on the street 
like a guy sitting there asking for a sandwich. I'd rather give him money than donate it to an organization where it's like what that money gets filtered out a bunch of ways. Right. And it doesn't some some we know that some it goes to people and some who knows what happens to it. What do you think like makes a good non what makes a good nonprofit and a successful nonprofit? Ooh, that is an excellent question. Uh, so what makes a really good nonprofit is when they get to a place where they have the revenue coming in on a recurring basis when they've got their donations coming in on a recurring basis and they can switch from this method of like every month being a new challenge to raise a new $10,000 or whatever the thing is, then they can actually shift their focus on providing that real impact to their mission. You know, when we look at, at some of the problems, like you mentioned homelessness right now, you know, can you think of right now any nonprofit foundation entity that has helped really solve the homeless problem? I mean, I, I, I can't think of a nonprofit that's really solved any problem, <laughs> but that I, I, I should say that with like a grain of salt, because I don't really know. I'm saying that I think all the problems that have, that plague humanity have plagued humanity since the beginning of time, not, you know, hungry people, discrepancy in, in financial, homeless people, racial issues. These things have been like going on since the beginning and we still haven't figured them out or how to change them. And there's tons of nonprofit, like lack of education. There's tons of nonprofit that deal in these things. So I don't mean to say this is like a anti nonprofit or I think like, I just haven't seen the results come from in these major issues. I think in smaller things, and I'm sure you can give me examples to show that I'm wrong or whatnot. I think there's probably a million ways that we've solved it in a micro versus a macro. Right. And, and you'd be exactly right in speaking that way. Um, what, what happens is a lot of times, and this was covered in the book Upstream by Dan Heath, which is just a phenomenal book. You know, you, you see a problem like you saw a homeless guy, and you want to give him a sandwich or give him money for a sandwich, which is great. It was just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah, he opens up the book talking about uh, walking next to a river and there's a kid drowning. And what do you do? You jump in and you save the kid. Right. And you get him to shore and you get him out. He's resuscitated. Everything's great. And then you look over in the river and there's another kid drowning. So what do you do? You jump in and you save the kid. And as the story unfolds, he's eventually like, how are these kids falling into this stinking river? Like, what is happening? Uh, so you you get this dichotomy in, in nonprofit work, because if, if I give you money, $20 and with $20, you can feed 100 homeless people. That makes sense. I can give you 20 bucks. You've got the systems, the processes in place to help feed these 100 people. What it doesn't do, right? You feel good. You made an impact. It's wonderful. But then a nonprofit working to solve the homeless problem, right? If that's what we're going to call it, you don't see the results. You don't see that there's 50 less people now in need of food. It almost looks like you're doing less work over time. So there's that dichotomy between wanting to have an impact and help lots of people. And we do this with our to-do list, right? I want to get more things done today. The real goal is to have less things to do. And we don't always see that. And especially in nonprofit work, it's easy to go feed the homeless, get pats on the back. Hey, we fed 100 homeless with this week. We're going to feed 500 next week. And the week after that, we're going to, we're going to feed 1,000. And you're putting food in bellies and you're solving that problem, but you're not. You're solving the symptom and not the cause of the problem. So I got the opportunity to interview. What is the heck is her name? Tamara Collins, I think. I can't remember. I interviewed two people, one from community solutions and one from built for zero. I don't think that interview is out just yet. Yeah. Tamara um, built for zero is actually featured in the book upstream by Dan Heath. And what they do is they take a multidisciplinary approach through all these different organizations, local community places, um, restaurants. And it's not like how many people are we helping? It's like, Hey, Alex, at your restaurant today, like, have you seen Phil lately? Has anyone seen Phil? And you're turning the number into a person and you're, Instead of you know working in different silos like the government and this shelter and this feed the homeless, like you're working together, multidisciplinary and across. And what Built for Zero has done have created these processes to go in communities and work interdisciplinary between different functionalities and actually 
create a place where they have more houses available than actually homeless people. You can't make them take a house, like take this house, right? You can't make them do that. What we can do is get down to what's called functional zero, where you have less people on the streets than you have housing available. And I think they've accomplished this in like 18 cities across the U.S. So a nonprofit in itself, not necessarily solving the problem, but when we actually work together and figure out how to work together and not really care who gets the credit, but who gets the benefit, we're actually able to tack and solve some of these bigger issues. So if we look at if people listening, watching, um, how do we choose as someone who's not involved, right? I'm sitting here. If I want to get involved with a nonprofit, if I want to donate either my time or my money or resource, what, you know, maybe potentially resources, how do I figure out if I'm actually giving my time, my energy, my resources to a nonprofit that is actually doing what they say they are going to do. And if they're not only that they're doing it, but they're like effective at it, right? That if I give a hundred dollars or I give 20 hours of my time, Mm -hmm. that it's actually not go, it's not just essentially, I I wouldn't say any of it's wasted because the intention is, I think the intention matters for each person, but that it's effective, that it's, it's Mm -hmm. due, it's having the impact that it's supposed to have. If you're looking to get involved in the nonprofit world, go volunteer. It's something local to you. There's all these national charities out there, right? And you look at some of their numbers and they've got all this overhead and stuff. And if you're if you're focused on the overhead and you know anything about football, would you get Emmett Smith out of retirement in his what 40s or 50s? Bring him back on your team for league minimum and expect to win the Super Bowl because you brought him on board? You wouldn't. You want to pay quality people to do quality things, and some of them are going to cost more. So don't look at the overhead uh, directly, but make sure you're, you're you're dealing with someone that is in your community, that is local, that is having the impact, that is engaged. Go volunteer with them and see what they're doing. How are they treating their staff? How are they treating the people that they're interacting with? What are they actually doing to make that impact? Figure out who it is that's doing a thing that you care about. Figure out how to make an impact locally, and then start supporting them financially. And you're going to see the, the fruit of that in, you know, in your community. It's just like voting. There's, there's certain people out there that only vote for the presidential election. The president probably is the person that has the least amount of impact on your life. The people that have the most amount of impact, if you have kids as the president of the school board, who your county sheriff is and who your district chairing are, those are the three elected officials that have the most impact on your life, Right. So just like nonprofits, who are the nonprofits having the most impact on the thing that you care about in your area and in your community? And those are the people that you should be supporting. There's so many ways there. Either you have a lot. There's a lot to your story. So I'm sitting here trying to go. Do we want to talk about books like how you've supported, you know, over 50 books to be published? Um let me ask you, I'll let you choose where we go. So it's like, we got, you, you have book publishing, you have, you know, relationships to um, your family and how that makes a difference or your relationship to God. You've worked with Dave Ramsey um, podcasting, like what you're doing in the podcasting world and how you've become a top podcaster. What do you think is important? If, you know, I often like to say to people, like, what have you not gotten to talk about? You may be on your show or <laughs> yeah. that, you, that you're like, man, I never get to talk about this. What would you like to talk about? I want to talk about podcasting. I think I'm a fan of podcasting. I think you're a fan of podcasting. I think everyone listening is a fan of podcasting. (laughs) I'm under the belief. You don't think everyone's suffering? People show up to suffer. They're like, I hate this, but I listen. This is the worst. (laughs) Can we get to the next one quick, please? I want to say more. Um, Podcasting as a tool for you as a person is is. Amazing. I think there's no better way right now than if you're in a business, if you're a person, if you're a consultant, if you're a nonprofit to get your message out there and what you want to do and learn and and impact than podcasting. It's easy to put together. You can do a big production like I do or like Alex does, or you can start on your phone for free. Uh, There's a guy, Russell Brunson. He's the he's a CEO or co-founder of ClickFunnels. And he did a marketing podcast. He'd get in his car. It was like 10 minutes to work. He fired it up on his phone on Anchor for free, recorded as he was just you know giving his thoughts on the way to work. This thing's got millions of downloads. It doesn't have to be a big, fancy production. Although if you want a big, fancy production, uh, talk to Alex or myself because I know we both do that on the backside. But my level of 
of learning, my impact, my network, everything has gone up exponentially since I began podcasting. I know Alex is the same way. When you get someone on your show, like Alex is right now, you don't have to do any work, right? Alex just answers the, ask the question and he's like, all right, Travis, give me all the answers. You're the real, like, like when I host my show, I don't like, I just ask the questions. It's up to the other person to give all the answers. Uh, but every guest I have on, I get a little bit smarter. I gain a little bit of credibility. I get a little bit more authority because I start learning from every single person. I know we've seen these master classes like advertised online, get in with the experts. But when you're hosting your own show and you bring on people that you want to talk to, you get to ask them whatever you want. It's like having a private one-on-one masterclass. And I know Alex can attest to this, that every single person you interview is mind blowing. Everyone's ex- everyone's excited to talk to you. So if you're in the industry and you talk to people and you're like people like don't want to talk to you, when you're hosting a show, everyone wants to talk to you. They're excited to talk to you, share their stories, steer your platform. If you're a nonprofit listening to this, you can interview people. Well, we've been talking about homeless, right? So anyone that's impacting homeless people anywhere in the world, you can bring them on their show, talk about what they're doing, share your platform, and then you can ask them how they're doing it. So you can learn how to do it a little bit better. And as you're creating these things, as you're having this conversation, this content is being created. You're not curating it, right? You're not planning it out and trying to figure out what you're going to post this week on social media. Every question that Alex has asked that I've answered, he can take and make an audiogram. And if he's asked me 10 questions, he's got a morning and afternoon post for his social media that he didn't have to think of and create. He just extracted it from what he already did. So if you're a nonprofit, you need to build content. If you have an interview show, or if you're a consultant, you have an interview show, you now have pieces of content that are already created for you. You just have to repurpose them across whatever platform that you're on. And now you have this presence. You're showing up week after week, day after day, time after time, and proving that you know what the heck you're talking about. It is just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal platform. If you want more reasons why I think you should be a podcaster, go to the website right here, nonprofitarchitect.org slash resources. Get the free guide, 15 reasons I think everyone needs their own podcast. The code is free 99. It's in the text. If you mess it up, you pay me a dollar. Uh, I don't think you'll be out if you mess it up the code and, and end up paying me a dollar. But free 99 for the free thing. Figure out all the reasons that you should have your own show. I started mine with uh, very little industry experience. I started while I was deployed to Bahrain. I was in the Middle East. I didn't have a following. I didn't have a business. I just started the show. I went from nobody to three months later being number four in the US. And now this thing has just grown exponentially. I haven't even hit two years yet. I've already been featured in podcast magazine, the top 10, uh, top 25 veteran hosted podcasts up there with John Lee Dumas and Jocko Wellink. I've been, I'm invited to host the first annual veteran podcast awards, October 5th. That's going to be streaming live online. If you're a veteran hosted show, get it registered today because voting hasn't started yet. Uh, you know, you can do and create whatever it is that you want to do. You have, you're getting the hope that you need to be successful and take action from Alex uh, each and every week. I know that right now, but it's up to you to take the action to build it. He's giving you the motivation and the hope, but you've actually got to take the action. And when you can do that and you take an imperfect action, like we did today, like, Hey, Travis, you want to start this thing on StreamYard? Hey, why not? Let's do it, right? Do the thing that we're doing, make it your own and give it a shot. What's the, what's the worst that's going to happen? But if you are going to start a podcast, commit to doing at least 30 episodes because your first 10, they're going to suck. <laughs> they're going to be terrible unless you're already an interviewer. Look, look, at, look at Alex. Right? I, He's I like, think oh, 50. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think, I, you know, I, dude, I started this <laughs> February will be four year anniversary. Yeah. So we're, you know, in the middle of the third year and we're, I'm over, we're about to do 200 interviews, but we're well over 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look back and I listen to the first few that I did <laughs> and they're God awful. <laughs> it's so bad. They're Mine so are all bad. bad. Yours are bad. Everyone's Every, except for Joe Rogan. He'd already been interviewing people for years. But yeah, look, if you have experience, stuck. if you're Katie Couric and you start a podcast, <laughs> I'm sure you're gonna be great, right? You're yeah. Oprah, you're gonna be great. But if you're to I, and I'm with you, I think you know, Seth Go Seth Godin is I talk about him on this podcast all the time, but he's a big advocate of we live in a time where people can do things that you couldn't do before. You couldn't broadcast to the world 50 years ago, right? You had to be like a radio station or a TV network. Mm-hmm. There was, there was no way to do this. Um, 
even in book publishing, right? Should, does, it does everybody, I think everybody could write a book, right? Just telling their story if that's all they did. And some people don't care. And I don't think you should just because, <laughs> but if you feel like you have, we all have a voice. And if you feel like you have a thought or, or something to say, like, you know, podcasting is a way to do it. And I think to your point, some people, you know, if Joe Rogan only had 10 listeners, I don't think he would be podcasting anymore. I'm just guessing. Right. I don't know. Right. 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 Um, but I do know of shows that only have a couple hundred listeners. Like I'm talking about less than a thousand mm-hmm. and their business is fueled by those listeners because yeah. those listeners are so into what that host is up to that they are pouring their business to that host. They're referring people to that host for, mm-hmm. for that Um because of the authority, because of the relationship that's built via the, you know, the communication and the connection. Um, I'm totally with you. I think I, I teach a, I teach a course called get loud. Um, and I teach it with a seven time Emmy award-winning former journalist who became a coach. And we teach people how to amplify their voice in the world, whether it be podcasting or TED Talks or writing a book, whatever it is. The cool thing that I think I've learned from this is it's all the same. Yeah. If you can write a book, your book can be a podcast. If you can do a talk, that can be your podcast. If you do a podcast, it can be your talker, right? You can you can use all these things in so many different ways, but you got to get past the fear of, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and what if it's not great? And what if nobody listens basically, or people think I'm terrible or make fun of me? Like, I mean, that's the deal, right? You don't know what you're doing and you're going to suck. Those are guaranteed, <laughs> but they're guaranteed for everybody. So get started anyway and start talking. I didn't figure out what the heck I was talking about. My first 10 episodes, 15, I kind of started, 20, 25. I started kind of getting in my stride and understanding what it is. I was talking about trying to say, trying to convey But it takes those reps before yeah. you you do anything you don't walk into the gym day one and start squatting 400 pounds you got to figure out what the squat position looks like you got to make sure you can go up and down without hurting yourself then you start adding weight and you start i mean it takes time it takes a lot of time to get up to squatting 400 pounds you don't do it on day one do you think uh or, you know you can go back and watch videos of usain bolt who is the fastest guy in the world go back and watch the olympics before anyone knew who he was because he was coming in fifth and third and second, and he wasn't that guy until he built himself up into that. He didn't just show up as Usain Bolt that we know. We just didn't know him while he was trying to figure it out. And it's going to be the same with you, and it's no big deal. You're not going to know what to say, and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. The quicker you get failure done, the quicker you get gather those data points, the, figure, the quicker you can figure out what actually matters. Try the thing. Try it. What's I think we even- even as you go forward, I mean, I'm talking to my team right now about, you know, we were going to end this podcast at 200 interviews and I was going to go create a new podcast. And I've created, I've, I've personally hosted probably three other podcasts like that I didn't done simultaneously to this. But I was like, you know, I feel like this, this thing has ended. I'm going to go create something else. And I'm actually rethinking that. And, and this is going to keep going. But I do want to evolve it and change it, right? It's not like a TV show. Like The Sopranos just can't become a game show. Game of Thrones can't (laughs) become a comedy show, right? That's just not how those things work. But a podcast, that can happen, right? Even even a talk show. You know, a talk show host could go, hey, this was our talk show, and now we're going to focus on something a little different. We're going to change it. But a podcast really has that availability for you to evolve and grow with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some of the beauty too, is like me. It's like when I started this almost four years ago, I was a different guy with slightly different dreams um, on a way different course. And now where I am, I'm like, do I want to talk to the same people? Do I, what, what kind of people do I really want to talk to? And, and that is its own evolution. And even in that we're going, we don't know if we're going to get it right as we evolve. Right. So it's like, we're back to we're at a new square one, right? It's a, it's a different level on the mountain, but it's still a new square one. I mean, if you're in the the coaching business or you have some kind of consulting firm or whatever, your offerings and your prices evolve over time with what people need, with what you're willing to put up with. Like I used to do free calls for people all the time that wanted to start nonprofits. I no longer offer that free call, not because they don't need it or deserve it. But I understand that if they don't have a little bit of skin in the game, a little bit of cash on the line, they're le- much less willing sure. to take action or to actually listen to you as, as a person giving them legitimate value. You know, I bashed my head against the wall talking to some of these people for probably hundreds of hours. And I'm like, you know what? 
my time is much more valuable than than the free call, the people that I want to talk to. Uh, you have to figure out what the, the weeding out process is. And I found that a $50 first call makes all the people that I didn't want to talk to that weren't going to listen to me, didn't have action or open minds. They don't want to talk to me anymore. And I didn't want to talk to them anyway. So it works itself out as the people that are really interested, that really want to understand, that understand your value as a person. They're paying me that $50, no problem. We're having real legitimate calls with the people that I want to help that are willing to open, be open and learn and take action on these things. So you understand who your target market is, who you're actually speaking to and what that looks like. And you start surrounding yourself with the people that actually are going to resonate with your message. The people that are actually going to do this, but you don't know that on day one. Nobody does. It's yeah, and for for coaches listening to this, I I I have a little slight tweak to it, which is like coach as many people as you can when you're starting out. And I think this actually applies to everything. If you're a basketball player, shoot the ball as many times as you can to get started. Mm-hmm. Dribble as much as you can. Mm-hmm. If you're in sales, try to sell as much as you can. At first, you just got to practice like like and same with podcasting, like just make episodes, just do the reps, just practice. And then I think I'm totally with you in the sense of like, hey, you're going to hit a point where you've you have a little bit of a foundation of like, oh, wait, I've practiced for hundreds of hours now. Mm-hmm. And now I, I know what I'm doing. So now I could say, hey, now I need to limit who right? And now I need to practice with a different caliber person. Right. Yep. If I keep practicing yep. with the people who are beginners, I'm not going to get better. I need to practice with people that are more serious, take it more seriously. And I hear that's what you're saying is like that $50 or that initial, whatever, whatever that raising the the boundaries yeah, are. Whatever that looks like for you. Right? Yeah. It's just like, it's just like chess or tennis. If you, if you play someone with that's less skilled than you, you're going to meet in the middle of that. If you're constantly stretching to play someone better than you, you're going to be growing and expanding. And when you, when you look at someone's life, like Alex's or my life and the things that we've talked about, you end up, end up talking about this thing called like a comfort zone, right? This little place that you're happy and effective. And if you're in there, you, you're good. But every little thing that you're going to grow is going to expand your comfort zone a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And some of the things that I used to do that I thought were impossible are now the easiest thing I've ever heard of. Like I came from trailer parks and foster homes. I went to the university to get my degree. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what this thing is, right? Everything was, was, you know, overwhelming for me. I got, I got a tutor and I started talking to some people. And the more I talked and the more I interacted to get this thing done, the easier it became. So then when I signed up for my master's, it was, it's the Kobe shooting free throws. He doesn't even look. He's just, mm-hmm. He knows what's going in. But it didn't start there. Like when I went to flight school, it was the hardest thing I have ever done. And then once you get past each stage, you're like, well, now I know I can do it. And your comfort zone grows and gets bigger. And you understand the things that you're capable of doing. And every little thing you do beyond that stretches that as you grow as a person. And you don't want to be who you were five years ago. You want to be someone new. And that person wants to be someone new the next year and the next year and the next year. And the only way to do that it's by trying new things, talking to new people, and getting on great shows like the Dream Mason podcast. Thanks for that little plug. <laughs> I'm going to ask you. I got one. I have one more podcast question for you, okay. which is: There's, I think, the last time I checked, there were like over seven hundred thousand podcasts. There's only two million. There's two million, million now. Mark, earlier this year, we hit over two million podcasts. Dude, so I'm behind. I haven't checked this in a while. Yeah. Um, man, two million podcasts. Okay. But there's billions of, there's like 8 billion people in the world or something. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. a fraction of the amount of people, right? There's plenty of, there's plenty of listeners. Now, when I, when it was at 700,000, there were only about a hundred thousand active podcasts. Most podcasts are not actually active. They exist. Maybe people did them. They quit. I know you and I see all the time people do 5, 10, 20, 30 episodes and they give up because either they're, they don't know how to do it. It takes up too much time. Um, they're not getting the guests or nobody's listening, right? So they give up. They never give themselves a shot. For the people that keep going, for that, you know, I, I think that they say only like 1% of podcasts actually make money. But for let's say the 10% that keep going, whether they have listeners or not, Besides practicing and just doing it over and over again and getting better, what are your like top tips for expanding your reach in your audience? How do you get more people to actually listen and pay attention to your podcasts? Again, aside from just practicing and getting better. 
the number one biggest thing is to go to where your audience lives. Right. I know without a doubt that people that listen to podcasts, listen to podcasts. It sounds a little silly to say it that way, but like I host a podcast show, right? And I'm on with Alex and I'm talking a little bit about my podcast. The average podcast listener listens to seven shows. So I'm not stealing Alex's guests or his audience and saying, hey, come listen to me instead of Alex. I'm saying, let me be one of the seven that you listen to alongside. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I don't know how many people are in your audience that really apply to my audience. I really focus on the startup nonprofit and we're the premier how-to nonprofit show. So if you're learning to get interested and want to know how people actually do it, like come listen to my show. If that's not you, you're not probably going to find the right value and you're going to drop off and that's that's okay. You're, you're not my target audience, right? But I know in the nonprofit world, there's groups of people trying to figure out how to do this stuff. And there are groups on Facebook and groups on LinkedIn. And I go into these places and I provide value and I answer questions and I don't sell. The people that are on there that are asking questions are involved. I answer the question and I add them on Facebook, LinkedIn or whatever, right? So they get kind of into my network and they see the things that I'm posting. If you follow, it's like KLD or Katie or something. uh, They have like, like whatever your your five pieces of pillar content are, right? So for me, if you're on my website, if you're on my page, I'm going to be posting about nonprofit stuff, podcast stuff, probably my family, uh, and tacos and bourbon. Huge taco fan, huge bourbon fan. I love bourbon. It's delicious. It's yummy. Keeps me warm in the winter. Um, but you're going to see those things about me. But again, I'm not selling. And the goal is to get the people that are my target audience to know, like, and trust me. And they're going to end up in my group. And then when you're in my group, I'm going to talk about specific things and then talk about selling. The quickest way to monetize is to sell your own products or services. Like I gave you the link to the freebie guide. I also have a like an ultimate podcast guide for 27 bucks. Buy it or don't buy it, whatever. That's not the point. But the point is, is because I have that thing available to purchase, I've made more money and I've made thousands of dollars selling my $27 guide as opposed to anything else I've tried to do, right? You're going to have that offer that are going to connect with the people that are actually in your audience, provide them something to, to actually buy that fits who they are as a person. I've, I've put, I've never asked anyone to be in my Facebook group. I put it out to the people that I talk to. Like, if this is something that's going to connect with you, join. And they do. And this thing is growing uh, like wildfire because the people that want to be in there are the people that are finding it are the people that are joining and interacting. So all of this time through, you're providing value, you're answering questions, you're adding them, you're showing them who you are as a person, again, not selling, and you get them into your group uh, so you can actually connect with them one-on-one and provide them a solution to a problem that they're having. And that's the way you grow your audience. That's the way you expand your network. And that's the way you start monetizing uh, anything that it is that you're doing. I, I love that top five. Like, what are your, I've never heard that before. Like, what are the thing, the five things that people would expect to see, like on your social media or on your podcast, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love that they're not all related to Right. They're not like like for me, I was like, oh, what are my five things? And I got four. I wrote down four really quick, which I was <laughs> like, oh, coaching is would be one. And I would say coaching slash personal development. Um, right. Mezcal, Mezcal, tequila. Um, I, I mean, whiskey's good, but I'm uh, mm-hmm. people are always surprised. They're like sometimes I go places and people don't even know what Mezcal is. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm a bourbon guy. I've never heard of it. There you go. So Mezcal is, uh, it's very similar to tequila. It's made from the agave plant, but they put it in the ground and they smoke it in the ground instead of the way they make tequila as they put the agave down. So so they put, when they make tequila, they put the agave plant in an oven and they bake it. Mm -hmm. And so it's baked essentially in the ground with smoke. So, um, when they it also doesn't have to be like tequila can only be made in a certain region because of the mezcal can be made in different places but basically it comes out and it's it's similar to tequila but it's very smoky so a lot of people are like oh my god it's like your it tastes like smoke right because it was smoked in the ground and i I love that. Like I like a an age and then they do it some of them they do just like tequila where they have like the clear the you know the clear mezcal they have the the reposado the anejo version just aged in barrels and whatnot um but i am a big fan of mezcal so anyone listening feel free always send me a bottle of mezcal 
It's a great gift. I love it. Um, uh, my dog, I was like, oh, what else? My dog, Callie, I have a little brown wiener dog, which typically people are like surprised. Why does this guy have a little brown 20 pound wiener dog? Um, 20 pounds is getting kind of big, huh? She's so she's I learned this recently. I thought when I got her, she was a mini, which I'm really glad she's not because minis are like only 10 pounds. And that would have been yeah. that would have been too small. Um I kind of, I'm like, you know, I'm a little, I throw her around. I'm a little, I play a little rough with her. So 10 pounds would have been, I feel like a little too delicate, um, <laughs> but they can get up to like 25, 30 pounds. Some of the, I mean, people see wiener dogs, yeah, they're fat ones. Their bellies are dragging on the floor. I keep my, you, you don't get to live in San Diego and not yeah. be in shape. So, so my wiener dog is in shape. She's fit. I actually took her to the vet and they were like, man, her, her leg muscles are, are, are really strong. I'm like, yeah, we run on the beach every day. Oh, we're about to get a, a dog, a dog sighting here. I've got, I've got two of them in here, and I, wiener I, dogs also. Uh, no, oh, they're like, okay. I was like they're, they're, they're both, they're both very different. Uh, oh, one's okay, and one's fluffy. Okay, um, but they're not interested. One sleeping, one looked at me like, no, I'm gonna go jump over here. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got. She's sleeping. She's sleeping next to me. And then yeah. I think the fourth would be like uh, living your life like you're on vacation. Like, how do you create a vacation like mindset? So you're like actually working and living, but you feel like you're on vacation all the time. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't have the fifth. I'm gonna figure that one out. But I love that. Thank you for that. And I, I actually, as I did it, I was like, man, this gives you so much direction. If you know the top five kind of things that you love or your interests it makes it really clear and people, right? Like this isn't a show about Mez Mezcal, but maybe or my podcast isn't, you know, my, my social media is not about Mezcal, but maybe if I work. Who you are. If yeah. And if I work. other one can be, can be major life events, things that mm -hmm. have happened to you, major, major things. Like I just, I'm getting all these like Facebook memories coming up with the time. Like I got my wings that are up here in the picture here. Mm -hmm. And then when I, I flew a T6, which is a small, smaller airplane flew it over Oklahoma city. And I've got the Devon tower, which is the biggest building in, in the state off the end of my wing. As I'm taking the goose picture from the back end of this airplane, you know, little, little memories like that. Um, when you, when you're like, especially if you're trying to build a, like a personal brand, people know what you're going to get. So whatever you're posting on Instagram, whatever your social media is, you're covering one of those five things and nothing else. If you're a, if you're yeah. a post if you're a post your lunch kind of person that's one of your things right hey check out this cool place I'm grabbing lunch at or brunch or whatever the thing is right post post about you who you are as a person they're going to get to know you as a person and then when you talk about things like your group or your offer or your podcast or your business or whatever they're going to be like you know what I like this guy I know about I feel like I know him because they're posting about themselves. And then when they get into your group, you're providing that actual value sure. about the things that you talk about. Like we talked about like the podcast and who I talk to and stuff, but like the things that I do, I teach people how to fully fund their nonprofit without ever doing another fundraiser capital campaign or writing a grant. And people are like, how can you do that? But because they come to know me through the things that I'm posting, they understand that I'm not, you know, giving them a line, not being at BSing them, but I'm not, you know, taking them for a ride. I'm, you know, showing the ways that I do business and how that actually works. And they're like, you're like, no kidding. This is, this is pretty cool. I like, I never even considered what this might look like without going through the pain of having 12 one month fundraising cycles every year. Like it's awful. Get off that train. You don't want to be on that train. It's terrible. Come join me on this side where all your money's coming and recurring every month. And you can focus on the thing that you cared about in the first place, actually providing that impact to this group of people. It also occurs just like it's so much more authentic, right? You're just showing who you are in a way that you're like, in a way that it's actually true. And people know that's what they're getting. And it's not necessarily like the highlights could be different versions of it. Mm -hmm. um, dude, this time has flown by. Uh, I'm looking at this meter and we're like at almost 58 minutes of our live. Uh, mm -hmm. And we've been pretty successful. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this first live video broadcast with me hopefully it's going to translate to a perfect audio uh we're going to find out but it's all part of it um is there anything else you feel like i didn't ask you that you need to say um before we before we kind of like tell people where to find you and wrap up i, I just want you know to let people i mentioned it earlier but i want you to know that you have the choice to build and design the life that you want to live it's up to you no one's going to no one's going to drive up to your house and be like, hey, you just won 10 million dollars. Now, what are you going to do with it? It's up to you to build what you want that life to look like. I know that as I'm retiring from the Navy, I don't want to go work at some company. 
So I've been creating this thing with the podcast and the online presence and the things that I'm doing. So I don't have to go work for anybody. So if I get a speaking gig in Rio and I get down there and like, you know what? I kind of want to hang out for three weeks. I'm not required to be at some office on Monday. I can say, yep, stand out here for a couple of weeks. I've got the stuff for podcasting and stuff on my laptop. I'm just going to do it from here on the beach. I don't really care. I don't want to be constrained by my location. When you figure out what that is for you, take the steps you need to do in order to build that life. For me, audiobooks really was the last big thing that changed my life because I don't have time to read, right? I could read a book like How Highly Effective People Speak, but I don't have time to read this thing. Audiobooks, I do things on net time, no extra time. When I'm commuting, when I'm working out, when I'm doing chores around the house, mowing the lawn, or I'm running errands, I've got someone else speaking their wisdom into me. I just finished a fantastic book called Talking with Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And I learned that nobody has any idea what's going on in anyone else's life. The judges <laughs> have no idea. It's just a little bit better than average if they give Grant and Bale, whether they're going to get bit or not. Uh, you know, Neville Chamberlain going to meet Hitler in the 30s. He's like, you know what? He's an all right guy. I don't think he's going to go to World War. Like completely clueless. Uh, spies in the DIA that are working for Cuba. Like they had no idea. So how can we possibly imagine that we're going to have some kind of clue about some stranger? We don't. We're all terrible judges of character. Uh, and I didn't know this, right? We all kind of think they were good judges. We're not. We're I mean, not. now I just feel like you're talking about my dating life and I feel a little offended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Travis, how do you know me so well? Well, Alex, girls talk. And that's just how it is. <laughs> but, but, but all that aside, find your thing, whether it's listening to podcasts, which I know Alex and I both recommend, audiobooks, figure out how to get the knowledge you need to give you enough kind of backing to take that step you need to make what you want your life to look like. It it would have been no big deal for me to be a worthless human being, needles in my arm, you know, have two or three kids from two or three ladies and really just be living on the system. No one would fault me for that for the kind of childhood that I have. But it was up to me. I took action. I made the choice to get the help I needed to start learning the things I needed to do to build the life that I wanted to live. And you can do it too. Sorry, I was trying to unmute. Um, thanks for, uh, thanks for, mm, thanks for sharing like the story at the beginning. And I know you've shared this in other places, not the first time, but I, I really want to thank you for Travis for sharing the the things you've been through, but also like the vulnerability to talk about, Hey, you know, therapy, why it matters as a man, not only as a man, but as a man who's like in an industry that's like very masculine, who, you know, where typically a lot of men are not wanting to talk about these things and hide these things. So thanks for just being another man in the world who gets that like mental health is important. It's just as important to take care of as our bank health, our physical health. It may be the most important that makes all the other things possible. So thanks for that vulnerability. Um, I want to acknowledge you and thank you for being somebody too, who is like out in the nonprofit world doing work that a lot of people don't want to do right Not It's not, not in a, in a bad way, but I think most of us are, are concerned about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And especially we live in a, in a capitalist society that nonprofit that kind of goes it's it, in a way it's against that. Um, but you're, what you're, what I love what you're doing is you're actually really passionate about it. You're having fun with it. You've taken something that makes a difference for other people and made it also work for you, which to me is where the magic is. How do you make the thing that works for you also work for everyone else? Uh, and thanks for sharing all that with us. Thanks for the service that you've provided for the country. Um, and also, I love that you've taken it's like you've served the country, but you've bettered yourself. And now you're taking all of that. And again, and like giving it out. It's like you are you're this awesome pass through of of experience to to sharing value with the world. And I agree with you completely. Like if you if all you do is go out and share value, people are going to be attracted to you and want what you have. And you won't really ever have to worry about anything. Um I, it's right there on the screen if you're watching, but you can go to the, uh, it's, it's just nonprofitarchitect.org. Uh, I don't have, uh, social media. Is it, is it your name or is it the, where do people go? If you search nonprofit architect or nonprofit architect podcast, anywhere you go, I think I'm in like the first four whole pages of Google. So if okay. you can't find me, I just, I just can't help you in general. That's but awesome. uh, if you want to actually talk to me and get a hold of me, I'm on Facebook most often. And if you search nonprofit architect and you go on the little side and it's hit people, 
I'm going to be the only thing that pops up. I'm going to be the only person that has a nonprofit architect in there. So you're going to find me right away. Shoot me a message. I'd love to connect. I'd love to hear your story. If you're interested in starting a podcast or a, not a podcast, but a, a nonprofit, I'd love to charge you 50 bucks to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> if you want to start a, a podcast, I'm also interested in doing that as well. But I know Alex has that too. So please see Alex first if podcasting is your game. Thanks, man. Uh, Travis, Travis Johnson. Thanks for being here. Thanks for thanks for being my guinea pig on the first live episode, live video episode. It's really the first live episode because, you know, we didn't we're not going to edit any of this out. This is going to be the audio that people are going to listen. So they might listen to it on repeat, but it was recorded live and there's not going to be anything changed. Um, so if I can leave you audience besides the value that you got today from Travis, please share this with somebody, you know, that you think can, this can make a difference for them. Maybe it's not for them. Maybe it's for a a nonprofit they could start, but also maybe just seeing two people who didn't know what they, you know, what we were doing today, figured it out on the fly, went with it. And like, yeah, maybe, maybe we've both done better podcasts. Maybe we haven't, who knows, but we just went with it. And uh, the fact that we did it, moves us both forward into like, well, what, what else can we do? Just saying yes opens up another door. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for being here on the Dream Mason podcast. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream. And I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.